On this episode of the Oklahoma Breakdown with Iker and Lehman, presented by First Fidelity Bank, we jump right into local college football by discussing Shane Beamer getting the South Carolina job, and of course, we recap OU's win over Baylor. We also break down Oklahoma State's loss to TCU. In the National College Football Roundup, we recap the marquee games of the weekend, including the great finish between BYU and Coastal Carolina, and we bring you the latest college football news. We give you our winners and losers of the weekend and wet the beak with Tuesday night football between the Cowboys and Ravens. To finish up, we tell you what you need to be prepared for after the schedule for the first half of the Thunder season was released in Keeping It Local. Please download and subscribe to the podcast, rate it five stars, and write us a good review. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Just search Oklahoma Breakdown on any of those, and you'll find us. All right? Oh, man, Michael Hosty will kick this thing off. It's time for the Oklahoma Breakdown. It's a beautiful Monday, December 7th, and you're listening to the Oklahoma Breakdown with Iker and Lehman, presented by First Fidelity Bank. First Fidelity Bank is a full-service financial institution based in Oklahoma with tailored solutions for all your personal and business needs. Checking accounts, saving accounts, home loans, and much more, they do it all. Whether it's online banking from your computer or mobile banking from your phone, everything is stress-free with FFB. Making mobile deposits, paying bills online, and moving money to different accounts could not be easier. First Fidelity Bank also provides free ATMs worldwide, making banking convenient wherever you are. Like, we go anywhere anymore, but still, they, they've, got, they've got the free ATMs. They also give back to the community. First Fidelity Bank donates a total of more than $500,000 to local charities and educational foundations. Make your life easier and go bank at First Fidelity Bank. Visit ffb.com. For, or, for more information. Now we're recording this on Sunday night, and Teddy, Shane Beamer, our guy, is the new head football coach at the University of South Carolina. That's a tough job, but this is, this is a guy that deserves it. This is a guy that is always fun to talk to. He's got lots of connections. He's worked at some really good places. I mean, Virginia Tech. South Carolina, Georgia, Oklahoma, and you can just imagine all the connections he's made at all those different stops. And the one thing I love, he's a special teams coach, and I I know everyone wants the next hottest coordinator. I I understand that, and I understand why some South Carolina people may think that this isn't a home run hire, but give the guy a chance. Uh, He's the the absolute best, and we've talked about this before, Ted. The thing about special teams coordinators, they've had to deal with all kinds of guys from the team before. They've had to deal with offensive guys, defensive guys, so he's not just a tight ends and eight sprats guy. He's done the special teams thing, and I, I do think special teams coaches have an interesting perspective when it comes to being in charge of a football team, and I, I can't wait to see what he does. 
Yeah, now, this is a little bit more NFL uh, typical, but your special teams coordinator usually is also the guy that works directly with the head coach on game situation stuff. Because, you know, your offensive coordinator is either going to be out there calling plays, uh, you know, those those um, individual position coaches are making adjustments, coaching their guys on the field. Special teams coach is usually the one that is kind of uh, in the head of the head coach saying, hey, uh, we need to look at maybe this fourth down. We need to go for two here, possibly. We need to consider uh, maybe running a fake or something. So, uh, game management is usually wrapped up in what special teams coordinators do. So, I mean, I think he's great. I think the best thing about him, you know, there's a couple things whenever you look at head coaches. There's there's different coaches. There's X's and O's coaches, and there's, like, uh, CEO, executive-type coaches. And I think he is the perfect CEO, executive-type coach. Um you know, Lincoln, for example, is he's a play caller. He's a head coach, but he's also he's the offensive coordinator. He does a lot of things. But I think Beamer's strength is his ability to kind of oh, I mean, the politician, I guess, is one way to put it, but he is liked by everyone, makes himself available to everyone, is great with the media has a really good tree or network of coaches that he's worked with. Uh, a lot of players have vouched for him already. And, I mean, that says a whole lot. I mean, honestly, like, head coach is almost more about what you do away from game day than it is what you do on game day. On game day, yeah, let's go for it on fourth down here, but it's getting the pieces of your program together, whether it's uh, your personnel, your players, your coaches, your quality control guys, your GAs, uh, working with donors, working with recruiting coordinators. I mean, there's so much more that you do away from the field than what you do on the field. I think he's perfect for that role. Yeah, uh, he is he's such a great dude, and – I think that – and he's been there before, so he already knows a lot of people around that program, but I think the players are going to be thrilled. When, when, they, when they actually get to meet with him and get to kind of know what he's about and the energy he brings, uh, he's also I, – I can tell you, he can also be a hard ass. He, he really can from some of the things I've been told. So this is a guy – I think he has that good blend of – discipline but also and I do think this is important now also he he understands kind of the modern athlete and how yeah. to handle those guys and, and I think he he keeps it fun he keeps it light but is still going to have all those guys working extremely hard so it's a tough job I mean it, it is a tough job they just they just paid a guy 13 and a half million dollars to go away so We'll see, but the SEC East, Ted, it's not, it's not easy with what we're seeing, especially what we're seeing from Florida right now, what we've seen from Georgia. I know they're not as good this year, but that is a tough division in the toughest conference in all of college football. So he's going to have to earn it, and it's, it's all going to start with recruiting, and that's one thing about him. 
He's a great recruiter. I think he's a guy that's going to be able to steal some kids that probably would have gone to Clemson, but he convinces them that, hey, you can be the guy instead of just one of the guys. I think he can do it. I, I think he can do it, and I wish him all the success in the world. Now, Shane, you better not be stealing any OU staff. Don't you do it. You better not. But well, I, I think that's, a, that's an interesting question, uh, the staff situation. But here's what I'm – because he has to know from his time at Oklahoma, and it's not just that he learned this at Oklahoma. I mean, anyone knows this, but quarterback is everything. And do you think there's any chance that he would maybe try and pull away a, a Mordecai or a Chandler Morris? I don't see why not. They're not going to play at Oklahoma. Right. That's kind of what I'm saying. It's like, yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. I'd be, it'd be Chandler Morris if it was up to me. <laughs> I love right. watching that kid. I do too. I do too. Yeah, yeah I, well, I, I think it's going to work out. Well, I say it's going to work out good. I don't necessarily know that he's going to go in there and all of a sudden start winning 10 games every year, but I know that he's going to, he's going to, the program will be better in a couple of years than it is now with him, I believe. Yeah. Just, just give him a chance, South Carolina fans. It's all we're, it's all we're asking. Uh, but congratulations to Shane. He's an awesome guy. And talk about one hell of a first head coaching job, SEC. Yeah. <laughs> all right. I mean, it's, and that's a good job. It's a good place. They've got a good fan base. It's in a good location for – now, you're, you're in there with the, with the dogs now. You're going to have to scrap and fight for everything that you got, but you're in a location where you can't say like, like Nebraska in the Big Ten can say, well, uh, geographically we're at a major disadvantage. Iowa State in the Big, Big 12 can say, well, geographically we're at a disadvantage, and I'm talking about recruiting. You can't say that with South Carolina. You're right in the mix. You're in a good area. So if you got the chops, if you can put together the staff, then who knows? Yeah, so it leaves a vacancy there on Oklahoma staff. And, you know, I, I know my opinion probably doesn't matter much, but would love to see our boy John Cooper get a look for that uh, tight ends H-backs position. He's currently the tight ends coach. There at Arkansas, coach tight ends at UCF under Heupel. Uh, former player, was Big 12 Offensive Lineman of the Year, was a GA at OU when I was finishing up. And I, I have all the respect in the world for Coop. So I hope he gets a look, man. Uh, I, think he, I think he would fit in, into that staff really well. Young guy, right? 34 years yep. old, ton of energy, loves to recruit. Seems, seems like a natural fit. Now, they could always promote from within right someone that's already on the staff and but I would love to see Coop get a shot at least so we'll see I know my opinion probably doesn't matter much Ted but I would love to see a former player that's coaching the position that you know this would be his dream job I would love him to get an opportunity yeah and another guy is um played a tight end oh he's Joe John Finley now he was at A&M, I think, with some. Is he at Ole Miss now? I think he's a tight end coach at Ole Miss now. So he's out there at that, at that spot too. So I don't know. There's going to be all kinds, especially with the H-backs and tight ends that Oklahoma has. There's going to be all kinds of guys wanting that spot. Yeah. 
See, we talked about this first because we we really just aren't that excited to talk about what happened on the field on Saturday night. So if you're wondering, like, why didn't they recap the game first? Well, we just tried to hold it off. Uh, I'm sorry. But, uh, yeah, so the local college football stuff, it's brought to you by Will and Wiley Hard Seltzer. Guys, stop acting like you're too manly and just accept it. Hard seltzers are amazing. There's only one hard seltzer that we drink on this podcast, and that is Will and Wiley Hard Seltzer from Coop Aleworks. It's perfect for any occasion. We drink it by the pool, at the lake, and at the tailgate. I drank one by the fire when I got home from the game. How about that? That's how you do it. made in Oklahoma, and it is absolutely delicious. Will and Wiley is customized for the Oklahoma lifestyle. Go find it right now in a store near you, and go follow them on social media at at Will and Wiley. If you're drinking some because of us, tag us in your social media posts to let them know little inside news. Got a meeting with our friends from Will and Wiley to extend Ooh. the partnership, Ted. Ooh, next week. How about that? Oh, love it. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, OU beats Baylor 27-14 in what was a very odd game. I don't know if that's the best way to describe it, but just had a very weird feel to it and – Okay, I, I thought about John Mayer's puns for a while, and this is the best one I came up with. Because him not being able to kick field goals in that game, you know, leaving those two short, I thought it altered the entire sure. football game. I really sure. did. So this is the best one I came up with, Ted. I said, if gravity wasn't working against him, maybe John Mayer's kicks would have gone through the uprights. Thoughts? I'm, well, I'm sure there's a lot of uh, John Mayer fans out there that get that. I don't get it. I mean – you have. You have never heard Gravity by John Mayer? Maybe. Maybe. But if I heard it, I would probably know it. I, I think you would. I think you – but, okay, moving on. Jeez, good. <laughs> I can't believe this. I need a moment. What? You've never – actually, Let why am I surprised? You, that's not really my genre, okay? But I've heard a couple of his songs, and as soon as I heard it, I probably said, okay, yeah, of course I know that song. Okay. Yeah, I'll take your word for it. <laughs> okay, so let's start with the offense uh, like we always do. Uh, and it's just, it was just so weird to see a Lincoln-Riley offense struggle that much. And now Lincoln put all the blame on himself after the game. I, I have never heard him be that self-critical after a football game. But, I mean, let's be real. This is arguably the worst performance from an OU offense since he's been with the program. I, I know that sounds drastic, Ted, but I, I think it's true. Yeah, I mean, it's really difficult because watching that game, watching our offense against Baylor, I, w clearly we didn't execute well. Offensive line had a rough night. I think Rattler had somewhat of a rough night. I think offensive line is, is tied into that and lack of running. I mean, it all really works together. But, I mean, if you didn't know better, you would think that Baylor is some, like, really, really good defense. I mean, they look, they look good defensively. They <laughs> look great. So, I don't know. It's kind of hard to to really balance this thing out in my head because I'm sitting here saying, yeah, we just didn't look good offensively. We, we were out of sorts. Yeah, that's true, but I also have to give Baylor credit. I thought Petrie had a hell of a game. 
I thought they looked good on the defensive line. I mean, they were beating blocks man-on-man, making plays behind the line of scrimmage. So they covered well downfield. Got to give them credit. Baylor played really good defensively, which, you know, taking a look towards the future, kind of has you a little bit worried about what Aranda's going to have with that defense in, in coming years. Yeah, I was I was surprised – by the way that their defensive line controlled things. Now, they look good on the defensive line. I mean, the TJ Franklin kid, he looks like a creative player on NCAA football. I was like, who? look at this dude. Well, Doyle, the the Mike Backer, he's 6'3", 245, 250 pounds, can run. And, you know, he's a sideline-to-sideline game. He had a heck of a night, too. So, really, all three levels they had guys. Yeah, I, I thought William Bradley King was – and he's, he's a grad transfer, but he, he's a good-looking player. I mean, they, they had some guys. That being said, it's not like we had seen this defense just dominate people. I, so – and one thing to remember is this is a team in Baylor that's getting better as the season's going on. Sure. With everything that happened the off the offseason, having that new staff, like they're getting better. But that being said – I mean, Rattler had a confusing performance after what we've seen from him the last several weeks, made some bad decisions in the run game, made some bad decisions with the football in the passing game, got lucky, right, that Willis TD should have been an interception. But, yeah, I think all the struggles started with the offensive line and especially the run game. Other than two runs, one by Pledger and one by Ramondre Stevenson, I'm not really sure how else to say it, but, that old line got whooped. I mean, yeah. they, got, they got handled. And I, I didn't think Ramondre particularly ran the hardest I've ever seen him run, but he was still, I mean, he was still good. I thought he bounced some things to the edge where he could have stuck it up in there and got some more yards, taking it where it's kind of designed. But you're right. You got to give Baylor credit. They, they won the battle at the line of scrimmage and still lost the football game. Right. Yeah, they did. I mean, and, and they're very limited offensively. Uh, one quick thing there just to, uh, to pile on with what you said about Ramondre. I agree that it wasn't his best game. And I think, you know, because he's 245 pounds, he's definitely most dangerous whenever he is able to get going north and south. And when there was so much penetration, he had to keep everything lateral and was never really able to get rolling downhill. So I think that was a big factor. And I you know, honestly, I think that it's really a bad time for that to come because I think people are going to continue to play to see how we didn't have success with the way Baylor played some of our runs and try and build off of that. So, no, I'm with you, though. They uh, they won the line of scrimmage and lost the football game. <laughs> all, all I want is for them to run some more outside zone. That's all I want, Ted. Yeah. It's It's the best playing football. I don't understand why they don't run more of it, especially – when it seems like it's not like people are figuring out the GT counterplay, like it's still an effective run for them, but it wasn't working in that football game. And you got to be able to go to something else. Like you, you got to be able to go to something different. Yeah. Well, you know, and Baylor hit us a couple of times, you know, whenever you've got the, the GT counter, you're pulling a guard and a tackle from the same side of the formation and leaving a player totally unblocked 
you know, in reading off of him with the quarterback, like if you make the wrong read and like most, most people, and I don't know why they do this, but they play it really passively. The defensive end just kind of sits there on the line of scrimmage and reads the, the mesh and then tries to make a play late. By that point, it's, it's too late and he can't get around the back block. So, you know, what Baylor did is they played it aggressive. As soon as that garden tackle pulled from that defensive end, he attacked the mesh point right away and tried to make a play on the running back immediately. And he, they did it a couple of times and Rattler didn't pull it. Finally, he pulled one and, and got around the corner for, for a decent little play. But, you know, I, I've always thought it amazing that you're able to even get that play going, pulling two guys around like that where it's not destroyed. But the problem is whenever people do find a way to attack it and it's, it's ripe for some big negative yardage plays. Yeah, and, and we saw a lot of negative yardage runs in that game. I, I can Probably only imagine than, how mad. That had to be more than we've seen in a football game in a long time. Oh, I, I can only imagine beating Bo. Especially against a two-win football team. <laughs> yeah, and also nothing came easy in the past game either. Yeah. I, and I, I'll say this, Baylor, they've got athleticism. They've got length in the secondary. And Jalen Petrie just might be the best football player on the planet. Oh, my gosh. He's great, man. He, he, is, he can do everything. He's a great blitzer. He's, uh, he's a really good tackler in space. He brings the hammer. You know, and, hey, I'll tell you right now, that shot Mims took, was that the first series, first or second series? Oh, my God. He took – I'm telling you, and this is one of the things from, from football that has changed. Whenever you get hit like that as a wide receiver, it changes things for you mentally in a football game. And I think that had a big effect on our passing game right there, just kind of setting that tone. You just don't get – you don't see that a whole lot anymore because the guy typically gets thrown out of the football game. Yeah, and you didn't see OU skill guys getting a lot of separation from Baylor in the back end. Now they didn't exactly do a great job protecting Rattler either, yeah. right? So who knows what concepts didn't get to develop, but I guess the least the bright spot. That, yeah, I, yeah, I agree with that. You know, to add on to that, one of the things we saw early in the season with Rattler, Gabe, was when the offensive line didn't play well, he didn't trust it a whole lot, and he started getting those happy feet. Yep, the, he, not, not keeping the eyes downfield. And I thought a couple of times in the Baylor game, you know, the protection was shoddy a lot of the times, but sometimes it was good. And on a couple of those times when it was good, what'd he do? He still tried to get out around because that trust was gone with that group. So need to need to get that back for Rattler to play at his best. Yeah. They're going to have to play better in their next two. Definitely. And I, I'm sure Lincoln Riley is more motivated than ever to uh, put a nice showing on the field offensively in the next one. Now, Ted, I always lean on you for the defensive analysis. They're missing several starters um, at all three levels. And what'd you think? What'd you think of that performance? Pretty damn dominant. All in all, I thought it was great. I thought your defensive line was fantastic. Perkins was good. Isaiah Thomas was good. Perry on Winfrey was good. I thought it was great, you know, and I'm sure this is something that the, the coaching staff talked about this week is, you know, they're pretty limited on the offensive line and weren't going to be able to get a running game going. So the best way to try and neutralize our defensive line 
is with a lot of quick game stuff, right? And when there's a lot of quick game, you're not going to get home. So what's the next best way to affect the quarterback if you can't get home? Get the hands up. Find his eyes. Find that passing lane. Get your hands up. And I think we batted down six or seven balls, which is fantastic uh, to get that many incompletions from your defensive line. So I thought that was great. I thought Backer was okay at best. And I will give a little bit of a pass there whenever your coach isn't there for the whole week. Um, so that makes it difficult. But they were just okay. Um, got beat a couple of times out there in some one-on-ones. Uh, wasn't a great tackling game for the linebackers. Uh, secondary, I mean, I got to grade it really high considering they were out several starters and had to move guys around. We had an inside backer, Robert Barnes, playing safety. And, you know, it's not easy to go from linebacker to safety in one week in the middle of the season. It's a completely different world. And all things considered, I thought Robert Barnes did a pretty good job adding some depth there. I thought Norwood did a really good job, even though he was only cleared to come back and practice on Friday. Um, Turner Yale had to play multiple positions uh, a couple of times. Thought he did good. How about Graham? Young corner coming out and balling out there. He competes for the football, which you love to see. Uh, Trey Brown, another workman-like football game. So, I mean, defensively, all in all, I, I give it – I give it thumbs up. Backers wasn't their great, their best performance of the year, but as a group, they played really well. Not sure I can recall a team just completely abandoning the run like that. I mean, it's one thing if it's like an air raid team with a quarterback that's slinging it all over the place. Baylor did that with Charlie Brewer at quarterback. It was... And, and I know they were down to, like, their fifth string running back. I understand that they have all kinds of guys hurt. And there was guys just going out of that game left and right offensively for Baylor. But how many times did Charlie Brewer throw it? Like 54 or something like that? Uh, Over 50. How could you ever expect to win a football game with him throwing it that many times? Uh, would you like me to take it a level deeper? They were in four plays, passing plays. Keep it simple. Stupid, right? Is that the KISS concept? Yeah, what, well, the speed out? Yeah. The tunnel the screen, out, well, if you count empty, that as a pass. Yeah, so out of empty, they, they ran the same play every single time out of empty. They ran the speed out uh, with, like, the little delay on the outside. And then on the three-receiver side, it was a, it was a, uh, a slant. Uh, out of two-by-two, two, they ran the um, – uh, well, excuse me, not two by two, the max protect set with the tight end offset and the back offset. They ran the two receiver, the combination on the two receiver side. And I mean, it's just the, the, the bubble. It was all the same stuff. I mean, it was, it, they literally ran like four plays the entire night on, in their passing game. So sometimes it's stupid to keep it that simple. You know, I mean, it, that's one of the problems with these offenses is, they're quick, they're fast, they execute really good because of the simplicity. But, you know, if it's not there, you got, I mean, you got, no, you got nowhere to go. I mean, you got nowhere to go. You can only run, like, split zone. It's the same thing every time. Like, if your offense is split zone, uh, maybe a couple of tunnel screen formations, 
and like three concepts out of empty, then I don't expect you to get any yards or to put any points up. How could you? I mean, after the first two series, the defense is like totally tied into everything you're doing. That is that's truly unbelievable, and I looked it up. Charlie Brewer, 30 for 56. Whew. Uh, an, interesting, an interesting plan from Larry Fedora, to say the least, but a dominant performance by Isaiah Thomas, Ronnie Perkins, Perion Winfrey. Again, that defensive line, they continue to get better. I continue to be impressed by them. They give up the garbage time TD on defense. I mean, who cares? Whatever. Yeah. But it's it was it, it it felt weird. And I know this sounds bad because this is the way you want it to be. Like you you want the defense to be the strength of your football team. Like that's that's what you want. But things have kind of changed to where if you don't have that elite offense, like you're not gonna beat the really, really good teams in college football. So it was a really weird feeling watching Oklahoma depend on the defense. I, I know that it probably made you feel good, Teddy, but it made <laughs> me feel bad. Yeah, I mean, it's different. The pace is different. It's a, hey, it, I know there's one thing to love about it. It makes for a lot quicker football game, doesn't it? You know, I mean, that's that's one thing to to like, but it's got a different feel and – you know, we were talking about it. What was it, 10-0 at, at one point? And, and I was saying that, yeah, it's 10-0, and Lincoln's being really cautious with some of this play calling, but 10-0 feels like it's totally insurmountable. Like, there's no way you're in any danger of losing the football game, and it's only 10-0. to In years past, like, you would feel like if you didn't put up 45 or 50, you're in trouble, serious jeopardy of losing the game. So it's different. But are, are, is there uneasiness for you headed into West Virginia and Iowa State with the way the offense played? A little or bit. Or this, should just this be looked at as a blip? They had a really long five- or six-day window where there was no practice at all. Uh, they were missing coaches this week. They were missing players. I mean, should we look at this as, as just chalk it up as not their best outing, or is there some – some things there that maybe are going to show their head the, the final two games of the season. All of those excuse, excuses, which they're excuses now, they're, they're, they make things difficult, right? But they're still excuses. All of those excuses being factored in, it, it does make me feel a little better about what we saw on Saturday night. But I can tell you this, Ted, despite what happened to West Virginia in Ames, West Virginia's defense is a hell of a lot better than Baylor's. Yeah. And Iowa State's defense has come along, and they are playing some damn good football. And Oklahoma, West Virginia's offense is better than Baylor's, too, by a long shot. It's not even close. So they got to figure some things out. And I, I don't know if you can blame the offensive line getting whooped up front on – the, those factors we were talking about, you know, guys being in and out, the practice schedule being a little off. Like, did it help? Absolutely not. But that that Baylor team, they they whooped them. Bottom line. Yeah. And, well, I mean, it, and it's stuff that we typically don't see. I mean, we saw Jeremiah Hall get 
uh, beat really bad on the pass pro okay. against Petrie. Can, can yeah. I point something out? Sure. I love Jeremiah Hall. I think he's a really good player. I think he does a lot of really good things. I think he's a tremendous kid. I think concepts where he's one-on-one in pass protection with good players are bad concepts. And I know Petrie, but Petrie is not a good matchup for Jeremiah Hall, right? It's not like Jeremiah right. Hall's the fastest guy in the world. And I, I just don't we, – we saw them do the same thing, and I think it's a disservice to Jeremiah Hall. They did the same thing. Remember they left him one-on-one with Trace Ford in Bedlam? Yeah. And that's when Trace Ford got that sack. Like, that's not good football to me. Now, I'm also the guy on the couch that every Sunday when an NFL team makes a tight end, you know, block a defensive end on four or five jet, one-on-one, four or five jet, it's a pass protection, people, if you don't know what I'm talking about, but the tight end has to block a defensive end one-on-one. It's the worst pass protection in football. These guys get paid to rush the passer. And you leave a tight end who does not get paid to pass block. Like, I have never been a huge fan of that concept. I think if you're going to leave Jeremiah Hall in to pass protect, you give him help. You don't slide the tight end down and put him in that wing position and leave him on an island. You have the tight end help him, not the tackle. That's, that's just my opinion. Now, I don't know any offense when it comes to – what Lincoln Riley knows. Like, I understand that. Like, that guy, I, I understand that he's an offensive genius. But I don't think leaving Jeremiah Hall on an island one-on-one in pass protection against good players is a good idea. I don't. Yeah. Well, I mean, Petrie killed us, and the uh, Christian Morgan kid, number four, they brought him on some safety blitzes, and he Who made coaches a their safeties? Um, Matthew Powledge. Was he their safety coach last year also because Baylor has some damn good safety play? I don't know if he was or not. I feel like – He wasn't probably because that staff turned over, but well, I don't but think it's McGuire's a still there uh, coaching backers. They Some guys definitely stayed. Um, I don't it know, matter, but – But their safety play right. the last two years, woo. Yeah, legit. Yeah, Legit. it's been great. All right, Ted, let's get to call your shot. And that's brought to you by Rock and Roll Tequila. Rock and Roll Tequila is the ultra premium tequila that hits all the right notes. It's won all kinds of awards for its superior taste and smooth finish. To find a store that has it, visit rockandrolltequila.com or check out their Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. This stuff is fantastic. If you don't want to take my word for it, maybe you'll listen to this guy that I really wish would have gotten a coach on Saturday, but it's a good thing that coaches came back from Corona. So, you know, he didn't. This is Coach Bob Stoops. When you're a college football coach, it's important to have an eye for talent. The same holds true when choosing your tequila. When I tried rock and roll, I liked it so much, I decided to become a partner in this Oklahoma-owned company. Crafted in the highlands of Jalisco, Mexico, the smooth taste of rock and roll's triple distilled platinum, our Añejo, called Cristalino, and the incredible premium quality mango tequila are awesome. Our defiantly unique guitar-shaped bottles make it easy to find, and you'll love the ultra-premium quality and taste. No excuses. Make rock and roll your game day tequila. Tastefully rebellious, start the party with rock and roll. And we asked you for your 
boldest takeaway from OU's win over Baylor. And our favorite comes from Sooners fan Jeff at Sooners fan Jeff on Twitter. He says, one, the offensive line will right the ship. Two, DJ Graham is going to be a superstar. Three, it's been a long time since the defense bailed out the offense. I hope he's right on one and two. Uh, I, th- the offensive line needs to ride the ship or these next two games are going to be dicey because West Virginia is a much better football team than Baylor and Iowa State is much better. So they better figure it out, Ted. But DJ Graham, that interception was legit. He looked like a hell of an athlete. We've seen him play lots of snaps this year. He's got length. He's got the size. He's got the speed. It's going to come down to the development, and I trust this coaching staff to develop these guys in the back end, and I am excited about DJ Graham's future. I'm sorry to get into semantics, but how do we define superstar? Superstar. To me, superstar, you got to get picked in the first round, right? Or top two, uh, a first or second round draft pick, is superstar caliber. Is it got to be like a Thorpe Award guy? That would that would fall into the super like national award finalist. Okay, is that the what is a what is a reasonable criteria for superstar in college football? You can't just be popular. There's a lot of really popular players out there. You have to have. Like you have to have some hardware to back it up, I would say. You got to be an All American. That's like a given, right? Okay, so that's the question. Will he be an All American corner? Will he be? What do they? Is it just two corners make All American team? That's really difficult. If you if you if he makes All American team, I will qualify him legitimately as a superstar. I bet three corners make the All American team because because nickel's such a prevalent position, right? Yeah, maybe. I, I honestly don't know. It may depend on the year, too. Um, so the question is, is will DJ Graham be an All-American corner? I hope so. <laughs> right? That's tough. I'll tell you one thing that has to change. You either have to have like 12 interceptions in a year, which can happen, or – you have to play on a defense that is well-known for playing good defense and be a standout player on that team. And the, the, the perception of Oklahoma defense has changed dramatically over the last year and a half. So we're on our way in that regard. So I think it's possible. We'll just have to wait and see. He's going to have to – if he continues to develop, he'll have a chance to, to probably reach any of those – goals or um, benchmarks that we want to set for. Yeah, I hope so. And Sooners fan, Jeff, you're right. Uh, The defense bailed out the offense. I I think anyone with eyeballs that watched that game uh, knows that to be true. So, but it's happened. It's happened recently. Now I'm not talking about a, a game long performance where they totally held someone in check, but, there's been times in late games when the offense has not performed well that the defense has made like a crucial stop, turnover, something 
to Bell. Like, for Baker threw a pick at Oklahoma State in the fourth quarter to one of the backers. Was it Rodriguez? No, that was too long ago. But a backer picked it off, and defense got an inter- – and it was late in the fourth quarter, and it, defense got an interception or something to, to seal that game. So it has happened. I'm going to always try and take up for the defense. You know that. That a boy, Ted. Get him. Um, one more OU-related thing. I did have a conversation with Bob Bowlesby last night on the sideline, uh, the commissioner of the Big 12. He was in Norman for that football game. And I, it, it seems that a lot of OU fans think that OU just shouldn't have to go to Morgantown and play this game after what has happened in the ACC. And I understand your thinking ladies and gentlemen, right? It, it doesn't the, – the game has, you know, no – it has no implications. Uh, the conference championship game is set. But after my conversation with Commissioner Bowlesby, I can assure you that OU is going to play that game in Morgantown. Unless – the only way they don't is if one of these teams has a coronavirus problem. But – they want that game to be played. The conference wants that game to be played. And frankly, I think the players want to play the damn game, Ted. I, you, you only get so many of these. I don't understand anybody that's going, eh, you know, let, let them rest up. Like, I, I get that, but it's a chance to play a damn game. You go play the game. What are we even talking about? I'm with you. I, I'm, I'm shocked by the thought that, well, it doesn't matter, so they're not going to play it. Well, well, then we shouldn't play anything in the Big 12 other than Oklahoma's schedule because no one else's schedule matters at all to anything. Does West Virginia's schedule ever matter? Does Kansas's schedule ever matter? Are we going to go down the road of only playing games that matter in the national conference races or – national title races, well, you're not going to be left with any more football games. I think it's ridiculous. Now, I, I will say I did receive some text messages today from some diehard OU fans saying, well, would you know, we could save a bunch of money and it would protect the players. And I was like, you don't yeah. save money by not playing football games on TV. I was like, uh, there's this thing called a TV contract that <laughs> I, I don't know all the details, but I know not playing the game is not good for the TV contract. <laughs> and that's the most important thing right now because that's where all the money's coming from. So, and they were like, oh, yeah, TV. That, that is a big deal. I was like, yeah. Yeah. And I, I will say this, the Big 12 being a conference that gets all the games in, I mean, for the most part, that's, that's pretty cool. That's yeah. pretty cool. I think it's gone, it's gone well, man. It's gone so much better than I thought it would. I'm not going to lie. No, it, it's, it's gone really good. I think that um, playing all the games is important for a ton of reasons. And like, if I'm a senior at West Virginia – and I'm about to play my final home game uh, in Morgantown my last year before I head out of, out of school and never play another college football game again, 
and someone calls and says, Oklahoma doesn't want to play the game because they already made the Big 12 championship, so this game doesn't really matter to them. I'd be furious. Well, and, and that's a great point, but just think of this, and I, and I know it's not all about the next level, right, but Darius Stills, you think he wants to get a game against Creed Humphrey on tape for the NFL scouts? Sure. Absolutely. And, and that's one thing that people may not realize. I'm sure they do, but the West Virginia players, like they want to play football in the National Football League. When they are being evaluated, every single NFL team, the first game they're going to turn on is the one they play against Oklahoma. Yeah. That's how it works. How do you look against the best? That's why this game is going to get played and that's why and you, you factor in you know West Virginia and their fans and what it means to have a home game you know financially all those things like it's not fair to the people at West Virginia to say nope sorry and remember the game was postponed because OU had the coronavirus problem not because West Virginia had the problem right so I'm I'm just saying I don't understand the people who are like oh well the game it really won't matter it's like the game matters to a lot of people. A lot. Just stupid. Play games. When you can play a game, you play right. the game. Yeah, it doesn't matter until it does matter. I mean, would it have mattered last week if they went to Morgantown and lost? Sure. It would still matter if they went to Morgantown and lost. You know, Correct. maybe not for going to the Big 12 championship, but uh, for college football playoff, for bowls, for, for all kinds of stuff. It, it matters. Yeah, uh, one more thing for the local college football. Oklahoma State got beat by TCU. Teddy, you called it. You called it. And if you really like forced fumbles and plays being reviewed, this was your football game. It is really, really, really difficult to lose a football game when you force five turnovers. But... don't know that I've ever even heard of that. But the Oklahoma State Cowboys figured out a way to do it. And other than Brock Martin's scoop and score, right, which I see a big fella, nice moves. Oklahoma State, they, they just didn't capitalize on the turnovers they forced. Their offense was so bad. And Max Duggan, that kid, he's a hell of a runner. And I would love to see Max Duggan play for a team that had a good offensive line, so he just wasn't scrambling every time he dropped back. That'd be interesting to see what kind of passer he actually is. But my main takeaway from this game, I just hope Tylen Wallace is all right. That's it. That's it. He gets rolled up on that long touchdown catch, never came back in. Said They said he was experiencing knee pain. Uh, I, I was heartbroken for that kid. I just hope that knee's okay. But an extremely disappointing loss for Oklahoma State. A good win for Gary Patterson and the Horn Frogs. But, man, that was, uh, that was a really, really unimpressive performance by Oklahoma State's offense. They made OU's offense look good with the way that they played. Yeah, they did. Um, now I'm with you on Max Duggan. Uh, I'd love to see him behind a good offensive line. Is it me or is Max Duggan, uh, Brewer, and Ellinger the same person? 
just playing behind three different levels of offensive line. It's the same guy, right? They are all the same person, but with different speed capabilities. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, you know, those little bars over there when you're playing a video game for their, uh, like their skill level on stuff, they're all just a little bit different skill level. Like Ellinger throws the best, but he's the slowest, uh, but he's got power. I, I don't know. They all play so similar. Um, they really do. For the most part, one read guys throw it there. If it's not there, they're going to pull it down and, and try and run or create quarterback run game sweep, quarterback power, quarterback lead. Just very, very similar the way those guys plays. And Tyler Wallace, you know, I'm with you. I hope he's okay. And if I had a knee injury and I was going to be a potential first or second round draft pick at wide receiver and I got it hurt again later in the season, I'd be like tears uh, face in my hands on the sideline. He didn't seem too concerned about it. So right. I feel like he's probably going to be all right. Um, and probably, Oklahoma State, man. Probably the last time we see him play, too, Yeah, you would think. Because they got, what, Baylor this week, right? Yeah. He doesn't need those Petrie problems. Yeah, I'll give you one guess who I'm taking in that football game after what I saw Saturday night. Um I'll take the Bears. And uh, Have I told you my theory on Mike Gundy? All I know is some Oklahoma State fans were happy they lost that game. I mean, I've got a theory. Which is, which is kind of weird, but I, I think a lot of people are over Mike Gundy. I do. My theory is he was already fired back in the summer. When the whole shirt thing happened? The whole shirt thing happened because they went in and they he he had to take a pay cut this year and they renegotiated his contract. Well, when they renegotiated his contract, they cut his buyout in half. And I think he took a million dollar pay cut this year. So when you renegotiate someone's buyout and cut it in half, To me, that sounds like the negotiation already happened. And the reason they didn't say, go ahead and take a walk before the season is, obviously this was a a season where they had a bunch of guys coming back. They had their best chance to win the Big 12 championship. Don't want to upset all of that and try and start from scratch um, right there, right before the season starts. So just a theory. But I think that there's a decent chance that his resignation and departure from Oklahoma State was already negotiated back in the summer during that whole situation. I love me a good layman conspiracy theory. <laughs> they wouldn't do the ESPN show without Mike Gundy, so they kept him. Oh God, that would you know that would be like the greatest thing ever if you're ESPN though to be there yeah. for a for yeah, a firing, which season ain't over yet. Yeah. We'll see. All right, Ted, let's move on to the National College Football Roundup. That's brought to you by Insurica. Do you own a business? If you do, you need Insurica in your life. Insurica is one of the country's largest insurance brokers with 30 offices throughout Oklahoma, Texas, and the Southwest. Insurica is able to customize programs by accessing the latest information from many insurance carriers. They compare and contrast coverage offerings and pricing in order to design a cost-effective, comprehensive program to meet your business's specific needs. 
Insurica's clients become best-in-class businesses by working with Insurica's team of advisors to manage risk. Purchasing insurance is only one way to protect your business. Best-in-class businesses win by avoiding a loss in the first place. If your business partners with Insurica, you'll save huge amounts of money and take back control of your total cost of risk. I'm an Insurica client, and you should be too. If your business wants to be best-in-class, connect with Insurica at Insurica.com. That's I-N-S-U-R-I-C-A. Com. Okay, we got to start with Coastal Carolina beating BYU 22-17. I have so much damn respect for both of these teams for putting this game together, not complaining. And as I watched this game, I was enjoying the hell, of it, the hell out of it, but it was clear that these are good teams, but they're certainly not close to to the big boys of college football. That, that's one thing that stood out to me. That being said, I was surprised how Coastal Carolina was able to go on those long, sustained drives, really control the, the clock. the ball well, man. Dominated time of possession. And shout, first of all, shout out to that center that, okay, Teddy, this is my analogy of that center. He's like 5'9", like 300 pounds. <laughs> so if, and just, you know, Bear with me here, but if a bowling ball in a tree stump could somehow have a human baby, <laughs> it would be the center from Coastal Carolina. And th- that offensive line, they they got after it, man. They did, and it, it was fun to watch. But obviously everyone talking about the great finish. Uh, Zach Wilson finds the Milne kid. And now a lot of people are comparing it to the Kevin Dyson catch in the Super Bowl. It wasn't that dramatic, right? Like, he was close, but he got tackled at, like, the two. He didn't reach the ball out or anything. He, like, got yeah. hit and dropped. Like, it wasn't as dramatic as Kevin Dyson's catch. That's ridiculous to say. No, it wasn't that dramatic. But, you know, given the fact – like, for Coastal Carolina, it was. You know, um, this is the the biggest play probably in, you know, the history of that program. There's, you know, I, I loved that game. I thought it was great. Um, and here's the thing, you know, BYU, whenever they decided or found out whatever that they were going in the on deck circle, they started preparing for Coastal Carolina pretty early. Coastal Carolina's preparing for Liberty until Wednesday, and then they've got to all of a sudden switch and start preparing for BYU. And I know the game was there at, at Coastal, but BYU, in my opinion, had the advantage preparation wise getting ready for that game and coastal carolina they showed up they were game uh, again they had a couple of edge guys the 94 kid gunter uh, you know we were talking about him last week outstanding player and a bit questionable whenever he buried the quarterback uh Wilson that was after so that damn funny people are like what is wrong with these guys i and i i'm an offensive guy but i was laughing so hard i was like yeah if if anyone had forgotten that QBs really aren't – like QBs are football players, don't get me wrong. They're the most important player on the field. But they ain't in the shit with the big guys, okay? So <laughs> if you right. needed a reminder, that's what it looks like when a quarterback messes with a defensive lineman. I'm just, I'm just <laughs> reminding everyone. Just, just a friendly reminder. That's what it looks like. Fun game, though. Coastal Carolina, top ten, man. It's pretty you cool. Think? Well, in the the A like the AP and the coaches poll in the AP, they are are they're not ten, they're eleven, 
and in the coaches they're 13 sorry yeah they're they're 11 they're not top 10 iowa state's number 10 they'll they'll be up there when those rankings come out tuesday they'll be up there that was a hell of a win fun ending fun game really glad it happened okay ted let's move on to west virginia went to ames and holy shit i was wrong about that game um i thought i i thought it was going to be a tough one for iowa state because i thought that those teams matched up really well but west virginia went there and they got absolutely rolled 42-6 and it really wasn't that close if that makes sense but the good brock purdy showed up and the mountaineers had absolutely no answer for him. He used his legs. He was really accurate and smart throwing the football. He was great in the passing game. They had some explosive touchdown runs from Brees Hall and the Nwangu kid. But maybe the most impressive thing, Ted, was uh, Iowa State's defense. You talked about it earlier. West Virginia's offense has been solid, mm-hmm. and they completely – shut them down. Letty Brown was a non-factor in this game, and West Virginia didn't score until the fourth quarter. Iowa State is a damn good football team, and they are peaking at the right time. I'll say this. I'm glad that Big 12 championship game ain't next week. Yeah, I agree. I agree 100%. You know, Brock Purdy, we he was probably – the most talked about player this year for um, disappointment of the year, right? In the Big 12. For sure. Maybe maybe in some people's eyes nationally. I, but I mean, you, you got to remember, and I know not everyone was saying this, but before this season, people were saying, hey, maybe Dark Horse Heisman candidate, a guy that could play himself into the first round of the NFL draft. Like, these things were being said. Like, it's not like we're making this up. Like, People loved Purdy coming into the year, and until the last couple of weeks, he'd been up and down, and frankly, he'd kind of sucked, Yeah, especially compared to those expectations, right? Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt. I mean, he threw the last three games, he's thrown seven touchdowns, zero interceptions, and added a rushing touchdown in there, and quite a few yards rushing as well. He's been clean, and they've been way better, way different. Uh, they barely won that Baylor game. He threw three touchdowns, but he also threw three interceptions in that game. And that's the, that's the difference for them. Whenever he plays well, distributes the ball, runs it, makes good decisions, and doesn't turn it over, they're a juggernaut, man. They're very difficult to beat. And, you know, they've done things to teams this year that Oklahoma hadn't been able to, to some of the, the middle top-tier teams like, like a West Virginia, I know we haven't played them yet, but, you know, I I don't know. I The way they're playing right now, the way we played against Baylor Saturday and the way they played against West Virginia Saturday leaves you just a little bit scared going into that Big 12 championship game. I guess I shouldn't say scared, uneasy. That's why I'm glad, and that's why that game in Morgantown on Saturday needs to happen. That OU offense, they need to get some confidence. They need to get some juice rolling in that Big 12 championship game. I, I, I firmly believe that. It, you can try to get 
build that confidence back up when you just got your ass kicked on the practice field. Like, you can try, but there's nothing like going out in a game against a good team, against a good defense, especially a good defensive line like West Virginia, beating their ass and feeling good about yourself heading to Arlington. That, that's what needs to happen for Oklahoma because Iowa State on Saturday, on Saturday, and I'm, I'm just looking at those two games, Iowa State is a more complete football team than Oklahoma right now with what we watched on Saturday. And now that can change. That can change here in two weeks, and it starts with a good week of practice for Oklahoma and going to Morgantown and winning a tough game on the road. Like, that can help you build to playing better football than Iowa State in that Big 12 championship game. But that OU offense, they better get it going because this version of Iowa State, this version of Iowa State can beat Oklahoma. No doubt. And we already saw them do it, but this version, with what we saw them do on that field, that's a damn good football team and a confident football team and a team that believes and a team that is not scared of OU. They're not scared of the symbol on the helmet. They're not. So They shouldn't be. I mean, I don't know how they could be, but um, I agree. And here's one of the things – not to get too much into the weeds on the Iowa State game that's still two weeks away. A lot of tight end action. That's the thing, man. And I talked about this with Baylor. There's one of my keys to the game was communication with our secondary since we're going to be out guys. Like, they're going to have to be really locked in on what's going on. And if I was an offensive coordinator and I knew that a team was going to have a bunch of guys out in the secondary – I would shift and motion and give different personnel groupings and formations on every single snap. Baylor did none of that. And again, it shocks the hell out of me how in big time power five football, stuff like that happens. How explain to me, Gabe, defensively, whenever a guy runs across the formation it changes everything. It changes uh, gap responsibilities in the run game. It changes the, your zone drop. It changes what safety's low. It changes how you're going to uh, rush the passer at times. It changes like a blitz may be on. It may be off. How hard is it offensively to install a guy running across the formation? It is not difficult, Ted. It is, it's rather simple. It's the easiest thing ever. And yet nobody does it, even though it, it screws the hell out of the defense whenever, you know, whenever offense lines up and it's two by two and they all stand there and look at the sideline, they get the call, and then they just lined up and go, and the defense doesn't ever have to change anything. It's the easiest thing ever. But when a guy goes across the formation, it changes everything. Iowa State does it every single snap, every snap. And that's what worries me. Yeah. Well – We'll get to that game when it comes around. Okay. I know Sorry. we're getting we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. One more game though, uh, Texas A&M, Auburn, A&M with a a solid win, and I mean that in a, a really solid win, thirty-one twenty. Now that Bo Nix touchdown run, that's one of the best plays of the entire college football season. That was badass. That was awesome, but. This one went about the way we thought it would go, Ted. Uh, statistically, A&M 
really controlled things. Just when it, when you look at the stat sheet, just a dominant performance. I thought Kellen Mond played much better in the second half, especially in the fourth quarter. And similar to Spencer Rattler, he is also clearly living right because the ball goes right through that Auburn linebacker's hands, ends up as a touchdown for the Aggies. But the Maroon Goons, what a nickname. Those guys did their thing again. Man, they're pushing people around up front. And that A&M run game with Spiller and Smith was rolling. I think they ended up 313 yards rushing. Uh, Mon did some things with his legs as well. He's, he's a really good athlete. But this was, like I said, a solid win. But I'm not sure this one had the wow factor that it needed to have. They, they needed – this was their last chance to really make the college football playoff committee go, wow, look at A&M. And while this was a good win – and they ran the hell out of the ball, I, I don't think this was one that made you go, wow, especially with what Ohio State did down a bunch of guys and, and not even having Ryan Day on the sideline. So it was a really, really good win, but they're going to have to get help. That's, that's, just, that's just the truth. It was a good win, and any time in the SEC, especially the West, you go on the road and get a win, it's, it's nice. But, you know, they were down – 20 to 14 in the fourth quarter and the game really changed on the touchdown pass to the tight end that got tipped I mean it looked a lot like the 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 touchdown to Braden or I guess um yeah it was uh, the exact same yeah yeah. and it the Auburn guy he's got it right hits him right in the hands and it you know, caroms up and the tight end goes in and scores with it. That changed everything because that's go ahead. Now it's 21 20 for Texas A&M and we're in the fourth quarter. If that guy intercepts that football, I bet they lose that, that game. That's how big that play was. And A&M goes on to outscore him, you know, 17 to zero in the fourth quarter. But if they don't get that play and that lucky break right there, I think they lose that game. And I think like you talked about, for them, whenever they're trying to get some some style points down the stretch, I think a bunch of people are probably going to look at it in a similar fashion. Like, if they don't have that lucky bounce there where a guy misses an interception right in his hands, may have been a totally different outcome. Yeah, and I think they've got Tennessee and Ole Miss left. I, they, Ole they Miss is dangerous, to, buddy. They clearly need to roll both of those teams, but uh, they're in a really, really good spot. I mean, there's, they got several ways they can make the college football playoff. Now, I don't think they would do very well if they made it. We already saw what happened when they played Bama, but they're a deserving team right now. They're, they're sitting out there just outside of the fort waiting for someone to slip up. So we'll see if someone does, but a nice win. Nice win on the road. That's the way I saw it. No, I agree. Here's what's funny is, like, Oklahoma, I I had them in the same kind of tier as Florida, A&M, just kind of right there in the group just outside of the playoff. And if we play the way we played Saturday, A&M, I think, would handle us pretty easily. I agree with that. I agree with – especially because – their offensive line 
would give our defensive line problems. I know our defensive line is playing really, really well. Oklahoma's defense line been very disruptive. But I think A&M's coached really well on the offensive line. They're physical. They would give Oklahoma problems, no doubt. I mean, you, you said it. They do what Oklahoma doesn't want to see. They'd get in a bunch of big personnel. They'd motion. They'd shift. And they'd give the ball to Isaiah Spiller coming downhill. It would be, yeah. it would be a level of physicality. And no disrespect to Iowa State, but, I mean, they don't have the athletes that A&M's got, especially on the O-line. Mm-hmm. It would be by far the most physically talented and physical football team that OU's seen this year. I, I think A&M's a really good football team. It OU doesn't too. make me happy that they're as good as they are. <laughs> right. But, right. I, but I, I agree. Now, uh, I still think that Bond is just okay. I think you – know? Tell me if this is crazy. I think A&M and Notre Dame are basically the same teams. And uh, when I watch them play, I, w- I would love to see them play each other because I think that would be a hell of a football game. But you look at Mon and Ian Book as the QB battle, and you're like, well, they're kind of the same human being. Mm-hmm. Both really good defenses, uh, both physical and really talented at both si- on both sides of the line of scrimmage. That would be a hell of a football game. I'm just telling, like... No, I agree. So, I I don't know. We'll see what happens with A&M. But they are in a really good spot. Does Notre Dame have any receivers, or is it just all tight ends that they throw the ball to? That's all they have. That's (laughs) the only thing you can have at Notre Dame is NFL tight end after NFL tight end after NFL tight end. No, that's... I mean, that was the difference, right? That people noticed when they played Clemson, when Notre Dame played Clemson, that they actually had the athletes at the skill positions. You're like, okay. Uh, two quick pieces of news. The Fiesta Bowl will be played without fans. Only the immediate family of the teams will be allowed to attend. And then there will not be fans at the Rose Bowl due to local restrictions. Uh, just a reminder, the Rose Bowl that will not have fans is a national semifinal game this year. So 2020 continues to be the worst, Ted. Yeah. It's bad, and I know there's probably see uh, people saying, well, why don't they move it to somewhere that will allow fans? The Rose Bowl is like they would uh, die before they would ever allow that game to be moved. There's no chance in hell that they would move that game. And that's that. That's it. So it's staying there, unfortunately. Yeah. Just a weird, weird year in college football. Weird year in general, obviously. Worldwide pandemic. Which I'll tell you is um, it's going to help out these teams a lot because the semifinal game, you've seen it. It's a traveling S show with about 400 people that they have to make accommodations for and travel to and from and events and obligations and media and all of that stuff. I think this year it's going to be like, if it's a Saturday game, I bet they fly in Thursday, uh, do a walkthrough on Friday, have some like media availability or something maybe, and play the game and get out. I'd fly in on, I'd fly in on Friday. Like it was a regular away game, 
do exactly what I've done all year for away games and go home after it, win or lose. That's, I mean, that's, that's how I would treat it if I was a coach. All right, Ted, let's move on to our segments. Let's start with our winners and losers of the weekend. And Teddy's winners and losers are brought to you by Advanced Weight Loss Clinic of Sand Springs. They'll help you execute a realistic and achievable weight loss plan designed for you and only you. They've got all kinds of treatments for men and women. Their licensed and trained experts combine diet and exercise with hormone therapies to maximize your results. If you're struggling with low libido or low energy, Advanced Weight Loss Clinic of Sand Springs can help with that too. They also offer Botox and fillers. To get on the path to losing weight, call 918-241-LOSE or visit their Facebook page. If you mention the podcast, you will get a free fat burner injection. All right, Ted, who do you have as your winner of the weekend? I'm going to go with Jalen Hurts. Um, I know they lost. I know the Green Bay beat them there in, in Lambeau, 30-16. to 16, But uh, Jalen did get a little bit of action in this game. Got to throw some passage, uh, led a touchdown drive down the field. Looked pretty good at times. Did throw an interception, but finally being able to get in there and and get some action, I thought was good for him because I got to tell you, I don't know what has happened and like where he's gone, but Carson Wentz looks horrible, horrible. And I don't know if it's that team the offensive line and skill guys have just given up on him. I don't know what it is, but it felt a little bit like the team was energized whenever Jalen came in. I mean, Carson Wentz was 6 of 15, no touchdowns. Uh, he threw for 79 yards, Gabe. I mean, this was an offense that a couple of years ago when they went to the Super Bowl was lighting the NFL on fire. What's going on? I remember – and Nick Foles and that big dong of his took him to the Super Bowl and won, right? What, you thought I wasn't going to work that in? Come on. Right, yes. But before Wentz went airborne and blew his knee out, I don't know if people have forgotten, he was going to be the NFL MVP. Mm-hmm. Like, he was on track to be the most valuable player of the league, and now he's getting benched. I, I know it's tough on him, uh, their offensive line situation. They're missing all kinds of players, Lane Johnson obviously included in that, and they can't protect him. But you're right. Like, even when the throw, even when he does have protection and the throws are there to be made, it's almost like he's got the yips or something. Like it, it, I, I don't know if he's struggling mentally, what's going on, but it is, it's bad. Man, it, it it's bad for him, and he's he's making poor decisions with the football. And I I don't think Doug Peterson had any other choice but to put Hurts in that game. I was watching that game, right? They were cutting to it on red zone a lot, and I was like, oh my gosh, he looks awful. And at least, hey, at least Jalen Hurts can run away when the defensive lineman cut through that <laughs> that terrible O line for Philly. I'm like, at least he can get out of there. I feel like. Um, a lot of the scrutiny and lo- a lot of the the pressure and the people out there calling for him to be benched, I think that has he hasn't. I don't think he's been able to get past that. I feel like he's gotten happy feet, and for whatever reason, I think it's just all kind of piled in on him. But I thought it was cool to see Jalen Hurts go out there, and I think that you know Peterson, he's got it. If he just continues 
to not do anything and march Carson Wentz out there, it's going to cost him his job. And maybe that's already done. But it was good to see Jalen get out there and get some time there at Lambeau Field. Yeah. Thought he looked he, he looked a little indecisive. I think he was a little nervous when he went in the game. I'm not going to be lying. I think he was well, a little I indecisive mean, with the football. But he, he settled in, dude. I, was, I watched a lot of it. He, he settled in, made some nice throws. You, you mentioned yeah. the touchdown drive. Like, he, he, he looked better on that touchdown drive than Carson Wentz has looked in months. I agree. That's, that's why I put him in there as the winner. And here's the other thing is it's not like he took the field whenever it was 0-0 and Green Bay hasn't seen your, um, your offense for the week, like your game plan. He came in whenever they were way down, whenever they're totally one-dimensional, and Green Bay's seen their offense for three quarters. So he's thrown in there to fail. I mean, who knows what happens if you give him a clean run of it. Now, I don't expect him to, to go light anyone on fire, but I thought with the, the, the bad spot that he was thrown into, he, he made good of it. Jalen Hurts is going to be a starting quarterback in the NFL, isn't he? they got to start him after this. I think you have to. I think you have to. Man, I, mean, I would have lost be a some money on run, that. But I, I think you have to. I would have lost some money on that. They All right, could Ted. still win the division somehow. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Ted, who do you have as your loser of the weekend? Okay, I'm not sure who the real loser is here, and maybe it's both people. I'm going to let you pick, okay? Um, the Jets had a chance to win a football game today, and the safety – Marcus May, after the game, calls out the defensive coordinator, Greg Williams, for the all-out blitz on the final play of the game that cost him a touchdown. Now, is the loser the safety for attacking the call and not just going out there and owning it and, and trying to win with the play called sent in? Or is the loser Greg Williams for sending in an all-out blitz on third and ten with the lead. I'll say this. My winner of the weekend is the New York Jets, so I think you know <laughs> where that's going to go. Uh, but yes. I will say this, and Greg Williams was the defense coordinator when I was in Cleveland. He calls a lot of zero. He does. Yep. It's not uncommon. He calls a lot of it. They play a lot of it. That shouldn't be a surprising call. That's what he does, especially on third down. He brings it. He once sat at a table across from me and said, I would rather give up a couple of huge plays in a game and force turnovers than sit back, and I believe the term was play, bitch boring defense. <laughs> that's, how he, that's how he coaches, yep. man. Yep. I mean, Always it's just has. him. Always has. You got to – hey. And the safety may be right. Probably not the best call at that time, but make it work. It's the call. The call is the call. That's, that's exactly right. And um, would the safety have said if the blitz goes, gets home and the coverage is good on the back and Carr has to pull it down, eat it, and take the sack, would he have said that's the greatest call ever and uh, you know, awesome, or would he have said then that we shouldn't have been doing that? You know, because it's a results-driven business. He goes, "Yeah, that's the greatest call ever." What? A, what? A, that's a hell of a call, right? I'm just, you know, 
I've always said, you know, it's not the call, it's the players. Whatever they send in, go make it work. So, I don't know. I just thought that that whole exchange was was interesting. You typically don't see that. So, thought that was funny. Yeah. We're, we're gonna, I, I'm going to add a little more to that. My winners and losers are brought to you by Sound Advice. A lot of us are watching our favorite football teams from home this year, which is why you need to get ready for game day with a home theater system from our friends at Sound Advice. Also, basketball season is upon us. Sound Advice can customize your home entertainment systems indoors or outdoors. Sound Advice did the Wi-Fi network and all the audio visual at my new house, and it is awesome. They hide all the wires in the cable boxes so it looks great, and I can control every TV in my house from my phone, and my internet has been flawless. For the best home theater systems in the Oklahoma City area, call Sound Advice at 405-549-3880 or visit soundadviceokc.com. Okay, Ted, my winner of the weekend Thought about going with the Cleveland Browns because that was a dominant start to the game against the Tennessee Titans. Baker was dealing. Well, four touchdown passes probably should have been five, right? In that first half, he was he was really damn good in that game. But they kind of had to hold on, and it, it got a little I interesting. I thought they were going to lose it late, man. I got There was nervous. an onside kick. Oh, man, when he fumbled that quarterback sneak I thought oh my god this is gonna actually happen so they were going to be my winner of the weekend and then that game kind of changed and I was like okay the Jets the Jets are the winner of the weekend because yes just like you mentioned Ted they gave up a long I think 46 yard heartbreaking touchdown pass with five seconds left to go in the game against the Raiders Uh, they would have gotten their first win of the year, but, and I'm not a Jets fan, and I don't play for the Jets, so I can say this. That's exactly what needed to happen to the Jets. They, they simply cannot mess up having the number one pick because, remember, Jacksonville only has one win. They can't mess it up. They need to get Trevor Lawrence. They need to get those luscious locks, that tall, statuesque quarterback they need him so greg williams leaving an undrafted rookie on an island against henry ruggs who is one of the fastest players in football is perfectly acceptable in that scenario in my mind teddy because i even assume jets fans were cheering when Ruggs scored they are now 0 12 tank for trevor the jets needed this ted they needed it would it have been awkward for the NFL if the Jets had stormed the field celebrating on that play? <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's hands in there. Yes! Yeah! Adam I mean, Gates just like subtle fist pump. Mm. Show that you can beat someone and then give up the win on the final play. It's the perfect – I mean, it's the perfect formula if you're the Jets. Adam Gates can go and be like, hey – you know we would have won that game, right? Like, I'm the best. Like, we won that game, but we lost because I know you want me to lose. You think at the the handshake with Gruden at the 50, he said, you're welcome. I hope he did. Could that you imagine John Gruden's reaction? Oh. Do you have they a Gruden impression? Do I? I don't I mean, have one. I've got one, but I don't break it out. It's, you know, one that He's I do. He's a hell of a player, man. Like, I, I don't have one. I, I don't have one. It's to- the only it's thing that I say is, like, 
You love football, man. Gabe, you really love it. God, I love this game, man. I love man. this game. Spider 2 white banana, man. He's great. I wish I would have gotten to play for him. I don't really fit. I, I, I look at the linemen the Raiders have. I, I, I didn't really fit that demographic. Uh, I'm not nearly uh, massive enough. Okay, my loser of the weekend. I thought about going with Texas fans because it sounds like the Urban Meyer flirtation is over, and that sucks enough for them. But then their team goes and blows the doors off of Kansas State, scores 69 points. Nice. And Tom what Herman's- happened in that game? It was a decent football game, and then I turned it back on, and they had scored like 30 points in a matter of three or four minutes. They just couldn't stop him. Bijan. Bijan's what happened. And Ellinger, Ellinger was really good, too. But I imagine Tom Herman was like, you see this? Sup, nerds. Like, <laughs> but, but it's really it, – it wasn't good for Texas. I don't, I don't know what Texas does from here, but – my loser of the weekend, Ted, it's, it's got to be the Wisconsin Badgers because they thought Graham Mertz was different. And maybe he ends up being different, right? But he, at this point in time, he kind of just looks like a typical Wisconsin quarterback now. Indiana came to town without Michael Penix, and they had no problem whipping the Badgers. Now, it was a defensive battle. Right, what fourteen to six? Jack Tuttle did enough at quarterback for Indiana, but Indiana's defense is legit. They forced two turnovers, but Wisconsin they they had a chance. Last drive of the game, you've got the ball. Hey, go tie the game, and couldn't get it done. It has been a really rough year for the Badgers with the virus stuff. It just. They had all these expectations coming into the year, and now they're two and two. While Tom Allen has the Indiana Hoosiers at six and one. Crazy. Come on, Wisconsin. What are we doing? I love Indiana. Uh, Hey, I like Wisconsin. I like that program. Got a good friend that's a coach there. Um, But I love what Indiana's done this year, man. Uh, they lose their quarterback. They still come out swinging and go in and, and beat Wisconsin, a team that a lot of people had uh, to cruise in the, the West of the Big Ten this year. But, I mean, they're sitting there 6-1. and one. I mean, what a great job by them. And What's their schedule look like the rest of the way? So they've got, what, Purdue? They're going to win that game. They're going to they're gonna be a 7-1 football team, man. Pretty impressive. Yeah. Really impressive, and Tom Allen, he's he's definitely easy to root for. But come on, Badgers. We thought this was going to be your year, and you let us down. All right, Ted, let's move on to Wet the Beak. That's brought to you by Tim Hughes Custom Homes. Are you looking to build your dream home? If so, Tim Hughes is the man you're looking for. Tim Hughes Custom Homes is a one-stop shop for all your home building needs. He can find you a lot. He can find you an architect. He'll find you financing, and of course, He can build your dream home exactly the way you want it. Sounds too good to be true, right? Well, Tim found my wife and me a lot. He found us an architect and built our new house. Tim and his team were so easy to work with. He is still helping us when we have questions about things around the house. He's also built several office buildings. So if your business is looking to build a custom office, Tim Hughes is your man. 
You can see Tim's custom builds throughout Gallardia, Nichols Hills, Oak Tree, Stone Mill, and Rose Creek. It is a great time to build the house of your dreams. For more information to see Tim's spectacular work, visit his Instagram page at Tim Hughes Custom Homes or visit TimHughesCustomHomes.com. Now, I won't lie. Monday night football has a better game. Bills at 49ers. I think that's going to be a good game. I, I really do. But, Teddy, we understand our listeners. Come on. So we're going to wet the beak with Tuesday night football. Tuesday night football. <laughs> As the Dallas Caval- Cal- Cal- What did I just Cavaliers. say? Dallas Cavaliers. <laughs> that, maybe that's what they'll be renamed if they keep <laughs> losing. The Dallas Cowboys travel to Baltimore to take on the Ravens. And there's some fun storylines in this one, right? Des Bryant playing against the Cowboys for the first time. Remember, signed to the 53 there for the Ravens. Lamar Jackson is going to be back from the COVID list and will start at quarterback for Baltimore, which, thank goodness, because with RG3 getting hurt, we almost had to watch more. Was Trace McSorley? (laughs) No thanks. But uh, I'm sure CeeDee Lamb and Marquise Marquise Brown will be trying to outdo each other in this football game, but I, I know the Giants, which we all saw coming. The Giants go to Seattle and beat the Seahawks because, of, of course, Colt McCoy. Yeah, everyone saw that coming. But the Cowboys, they are still technically in the playoff picture. Now, they got to get on a roll, but if they win this, they can move to 4-8, and eight, and things could maybe get interesting there for them in the NFC East. They could still be in the hunt. So, We'll see if the Cowboys' defense can step up and give Andy Dalton and that offense a chance. But the Ravens are currently a nine-point favorite. Teddy, this is a team that has been basically locked down for a while because of virus concerns. Still a nine-point favorite on Tuesday night against the Cowboys. Yikes, that's got to hurt. That's got to hurt for all those players for the Cowboys. It's brutal. Gabe, you know what my favorite thing in all of sports is, right? Rooting against the Cowboys. Rooting against the Dallas Cowboys. It is. But with that being said, not only am I going to say to take the Cowboys in the nine, I'm saying the Dallas Cowboys are going to win this football game outright. He's gone crazy. He's losing it. You're saying money line. Forget forget the spread. You're going money line, Dallas Cowboys. That's right. I love it. I kind of feel the same way. That's right. Um, everything says they won't. They're outmanned. They're outgunned. Uh, the Rave. Like everyone is still thinking that they're playing the Ravens. That you know, like last year's Ravens. Yeah, that's not the case. Not the Ravens. Team have lost four out of their last five football games. They are not playing good at all. Now, some of those have been good, close, competitive games. That's true, but they've lost four out of their last five. Lamar Jackson is not Lamar Jackson from last year, and Lamar Jackson is also coming off of an extended period, quarantined away from his football team where he's not practicing. Okay, Uh, and a bunch of other guys in the same position. Give me Dallas. Give me Dallas. I'm with you. Give me the Cowboys. And now it's unanimous. Hey, I, yes. I will say this. Like, uh, I mean, the Cowboys, they still have CD and Amari Cooper and maybe Ezekiel Elliott even gets going in this game. Yeah. I, I don't really know, but no Mark Andrews. 
for the Ravens, no Judon for the Ravens. So, I mean, they're missing key players still. And last time I checked, Ted, I, I don't think quarantining for 10 days is going to improve your accuracy as a passer. That's just – maybe that's just me. Of all the quarterbacks in the league to that you don't want that to happen to is probably a guy like Lamar Jackson who probably needs rhythm and uh, work on those timing routes and everything uh, more than anyone. I mean, th- and, that's the thing is Andrews being out, I mean, he's your – He's your biggest touchdown receiving threat. He's your red zone guy. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's your red zone go-to. So, yeah, man, I, I don't know. Uh, give me Dallas. It's okay. They got crazy Dez, man. saying that, but. Throw up the X. Yeah, I hope I, he scores against the Cowboys. I'm not going to lie. That'd, that would be really cool. That would. I can't. Now, if they sign him to a long deal and give him a bunch of money, I will change my tune on this. But I can't wait for Blake Bell to get off the Cowboys so I can go back to hating them. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just being honest. All right, Ted, let's he said, up. just real quick, what's he said down there? Those like the locker room, like, is it bad or are they they still staying together? It seems like they're still staying together. He hasn't, you know, hasn't been complaining a bunch. So you you know how it is. The second that guys start accepting losing, right, where they don't care, that's <laughs> where they're not bitching. That's when you know it's bad, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's right so that's right that's funny he, yeah but he played for the Chiefs last year and won a Super Bowl and now he's going through that Dang. so whoo man talk about a contrast in years hey that's the National Football League all right Ted let's finish up with everyone's favorite segment which is keeping it local where we highlight what's going on in the great state of Oklahoma and it's starting to kind of just tar- turn into FGTB I realize that people you know we did this is the first time remember we just started this in what was it April was uh, it, was it a- what, late April June I thought we started this in was June. it June I don't even know when we started this yeah maybe I don't know when it was but uh well it was 66 episodes ago so exactly 30, so whenever, 30 some weeks ago. Yeah, whatever that was. So we really don't have, you know, everything mapped out. So maybe this turns into FGTB. Maybe we bring it back since basketball season's here. I, I don't know. We'll figure it out. But this one's about the Thunder again. And it's brought to you by Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School. As schools are reopening in the fall or reopened in the fall, parents wanted to provide the best possible educational experience and spiritual development for their children. So they sent them to Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School. A one-to-one iPad setting makes McGinnis students fully prepared to continue high-level learning from home. A 12-to-one cedar, cedar, did I just say cedar? Mm-hmm. Gosh, that's not right. A 12-to-one, <laughs> this is why you listen to the ads, people. A 12-to-one student, how did I come up with cedar? What? <laughs> what? I'm losing it. All right, a 12-to-one student to teacher. Student to teacher turned into cedar. That's what happens. I don't. I like I, it. I, I like it. A 12-to-1 student-to-teacher ratio guarantees no student is overlooked. In addition to athletic programs and clubs, Bishop McGinnis' college prep curriculum offers 22 AP courses. Oh, this is a rough one. You're almost there. Financial aid is available. For more information, visit bmchs.org. And the Irish get the Carl Albert Titans in the state championship game. Let's go Irish. Really? It has, How about that? It has not gone well for the Irish when they have played Carl Albert uh, lately. Now, I will say this. I was undefeated against Carl Albert 
when I was playing at McGinnis. So just want to point that out. I'm pretty sure Carl Albert has beaten McGinnis every single time since. I don't know. It's how many championships has Carl Albert won recently? Do they win it every single year? I, I'm not sure if this is a proper unit of measurement, but I think they would say, I think the proper term is a shit ton. <laughs> Somewhere around there. Yeah. 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 It's been, a, it's been a shit ton. No, they, they have such a good, and I, I think Gary, Gary Rose retired and they still just kept yeah. it rolling, man. It it's is, crazy. it's really impressive. So good luck to the Irish in that one. Uh, we'll see. I think the odds makers would have Carl Albert, what, favored maybe nine and a half, so Edge. maybe 13 right. and a half. I don't know. I, like I, 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 I haven't followed much high school football. Not going to lie. Okay, but Joe Masato had a good article about this in the Oklahoman. The Thunder schedule for the first half of the season came out, and so that's the first 37 games. Remember, it's 74-game schedule this season, and yikes. Now, we know they're going to be bad, right? We, we know that, but I didn't think they'd be bad and have the hardest schedule in the league, according to several different metrics. They got the Big Ten treatment, huh? They did. They did. <laughs> you know, who they got the Nebraska treatment is what they got. <laughs> so, uh, some highlights. Home opener, even though there will be no fans, is going to be against the Jazz. And in case you forgot, it was uh, rather significant the last time the Jazz <laughs> came to Oklahoma City. Uh, the Pelicans, which means Steven Adams, will come to town on New Year's Eve. Uh, that would be awesome. Uh, seems unlikely, but it would be awesome if the stadium or the stadium, the arena could be somewhat bumping for that one to show appreciation for him, but who knows what that will look like. I highly, highly doubt that. And then they'll play Chris Paul and the Suns late January couple games against Durant and Brooklyn. Uh, but the real reason, Teddy, that I wanted to bring this up in keeping it local was we need people to prepare themselves because I don't know about you, but there is one thing pe- people consistently complain about when it comes to the local Thunder broadcast. Do you, do you know what I'm referring to? Oh, yeah, sure. I do. Yes. That's a tough call. I like Michael Cage, but for whatever reason, people really like to complain about his analysis. Now, he seems like a hell of a guy to me, and maybe his style's not for anybody, not for for everybody, but you better get used to it because the Thunder, they've got one nationally televised game. Wow. And it is on NBA TV, (laughs) and some of you people don't even have that channel nationally televised on a channel that a lot of people don't have so no abc no espn no tnt for the thunder so i'm telling you right now i'm talking to you michael cage haters you're going to have to learn to deal with it because you don't have another option dig in baby dig in whatever you have to do to prepare yourself to not constantly complain about Michael Cage. Do it. Do it. Learn. Learn to embrace the local broadcast because you don't have another option. Ted. I mean, for one of the wet the beaks 
before the season starts, we need a season tally for how many times Michael Cage explains to us that the net used to be made of cotton. That's why whenever he says that one was all cotton, that's a reference to the old days whenever the, the net was made from uh, pure cotton. Church league references would obviously <laughs> – that'd be a good over-under to set. But I, I – listen, I know that maybe he's not as good as – Antonio Daniels would have been, who is now doing it for the Pelicans and killing it. But just, just accept it. Don't complain. Yeah, please, it, you have you, you literally have no other choice. Yeah. What are you going to do? You know. Not watch the games? Come on, that's ridiculous. I mean, do not even entertain not watching the games. And you know, I was just thinking. Do you feel like Presti said to the league, like, we don't want to tank per se, but we would appreciate if you scheduled all of our games to where we cannot win them. Uh, give us the best you've got. <laughs> Dude, they've got the Lakers. They've got several against the Lakers, Denver, right? The Clippers. Like, this thing is loaded. <laughs> it's loaded. It, they have the hardest schedule in the league. In the first half, right? They haven't released the second half. But I sh I'm sure Presti's probably like, hey, uh, whenever you release that second half, go ahead and load it up. Load it up. Give us the best you got. We're not going to be any good, so our fans want to see the stars. Show us the stars of the league. That's a great way of looking at it. Instead of complaining about Michael Cage, enjoy watching the other team's best players, a lot of which of them <laughs> used to play here. Oh gosh, <laughs> that's gonna be so depressing. Uh, yeah, that we get. It's gonna be a reunion tour. All of the best teams in the league. Uh, also, all of the former Thunder players are gonna get to destroy the Thunder all year long. Yeah. Woo! Ooh, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. And on that note, episode sixty-six in the books. We'll have a new podcast that'll drop Thursday morning. Just a reminder: you can hear Teddy from two to six on Sports Talk fourteen hundred. You can hear me from 3 to 5 on SiriusXM Big 12 Radio, Channel 375. Hope you all have a great week. Until next time, we appreciate you all for listening. And do what you always do, Oklahoma. Take care of each other. I didn't mess that one up. Nice. <laughs> At least I got that one right. Okay.